Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Deanna Sanvi. Deanna started in animal rescue around 2008, fostering dogs and doing shelter shifts and started moving towards community outreach as a focus in 2011. Currently, she is the spay-neuter coordinator for Gateway Pet Guardians Community Outreach Program. She's responsible for getting owned pets and community cats fixed and vaccinated in her target area, which is a six-zip code area covering East St. Louis, Illinois, and a few surrounding municipalities, about 65,000 residents total. It's a resource desert. No veterinarians, no pet stores, etc., and a majority of residents are below the poverty line. Gateway works closely with a low-cost spay-neuter clinic across the river in St. Louis, Missouri, the Carroll House Quick Fix Pet Clinic, as well as a pet food pantry, Bi-State Pet Food Pantry. Deanna still fosters occasionally. She currently has four dogs, two of whom are blind, and two of whom are formal ferals in her day job. She's a home health nurse. Deanna, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, reading your bio, I'm already exhausted. And then at the end, you say, by the way, I'm a home health nurse. So I'm very impressed with all that you do. And thank you for everything that you do. So I was wondering, Deanna, if you could share with us how you got started in helping cats and dogs. Right. So you kind of went over that a little bit in my bio. I... My first dogs as an adult, I adopted from a rescue organization, and that's kind of what led me to eventually foster and start working in the rescue aspect. And again, around 2011, the rescue that I was helping at the time started focusing on outreach, realizing that we wouldn't have to rescue so many dogs and cats if we maybe helped them be able to stay in their homes in the first place, or you know, we were able to get the population under control through spay neuter. So that was kind of a natural fit for me. Like you mentioned, my day job in home health, I'm already out in the community helping people. And so to be able to also in my spare time help the animals and their owners was just kind of a natural fit for me. So as the coordinator, what sort of tasks do you do? Do you help with other people facilitating trapping community cats? Are you sort of a project manager person or are you actually the boots on the ground? Honestly, probably all three. As far as community cats go, I do the trapping. I transport, I hold cats, you know, before and after. I coordinate the appointments. I talk to people who have community cats to kind of explain what we do. I give advice to people that are doing their own trapping. Um, I try to coordinate with other trappers that I know are around the area and working with folks. So it's it's really a little bit of everything. I can't see that I would ever not want to do some of the boots on the ground stuff because I just like working with people and being out in the community. But also I like to organize it and kind of project manage as well. 
because that's kind of what gets things done too. Yeah. So you started doing this in 2011 and now we're at 2017. What sort of changes have you seen over the last six years? Well, what kind of got us into the TNR and community cats, you know, we were initially focused on own pets, own dogs and cats, is as we started getting the stray population more under control, we kind of saw the community cats flourish because we didn't have as many stray dogs that kind of kept them away. And as we were helping people with their own pets, you know, I would show up on someone's front door to pick up their dog to be neutered. And I would notice two cats on the porch and I'd say, are these your cats? Cause we can fix them too. And the community member would say, oh no, they're not my cats. And I'd say, well, do you feed them? Yeah. I'm like, well, they're your cats. <laughs> you know, and we, we should really get them fixed too. And finding out that they're feral and they have to be trapped, you know, is a whole nother ball game, but we've really noticed a need for it over the years as we're actually working with these people going door to door and seeing kind of that cat population flourish. So when did you really start aggressively addressing the feral cat population? That was approximately 2015. And it's kind of an interesting story. Along with helping the owned pets in the community, two times a year, we do vaccination clinics in our target area in East St. Louis, and we have those in the parks. So we work with the parks department in order to secure the location and set up tents and such. And one of the women we work with in the parks department made the comment one day, well, you know, I have all these cats and I'm not sure what to do. And can you steer me in the right direction? And so we ended up talking to her. A friend of mine, Jill, and I decided to take on these cats. She lived kind of on the edge of town and had about 15 outdoor cats she fed. And so we thought, well, we'll see what we can do about this and read up on the internet and borrowed some traps and kind of by trial and error figured it out, got all these cats fixed. And we were so pumped by the end of it, we thought, well, we could do more of this. And it's kind of like, if you build it, they will come. And so once word got out, just kind of snowballed. And I've always got a list in progress of sites. And as I finish in one place, you know, I'm adding two more places. So you said, you know, of other folks that trap. So is this trapping program not solely dependent upon you? Like if something happened and you weren't able to trap, are there resources that could backfill for your trapping list? I think so. I've, I've had a lot of people come out with me just to kind of observe. I think a lot of people are a little bit nervous in this area because it is a very underserved, poor area, and it's not always the safest. I feel pretty safe because I go into that area every day and I've really never had a problem. However, I can see where it would be perceived as very unsafe by other people. There's at least two other people trapping or at least their areas kind of overlap with ours in terms of where they're focusing. So I think people would take my place if I wasn't doing it anymore. But I haven't really thought about that. that um, it's interesting you bring that up because I never really thought about that. I find that trappers in general can be sort of isolated and they can, over time, feel like they're doing sort of their own thing. And I think it's really important for there to always be backup systems because I think that we're always going to be trapping. And, and unfortunately, we're not all going to live forever. And so there's always going to be this need to have 
trained folks to be able to assist our community cats. And so I don't think sustainability is something that we think about that often because trapping can be a reactionary thing. Somebody's complaining about something, about a colony, or, you know, it, it comes up and it's like, oh, there are all these pregnant cats or there are all these kittens that need me. So we're reactively going out there and then it becomes another reaction and it becomes another reaction. And we then we're, we don't have the time to think about, you know, how can we make sure that this lasts, you know, beyond our abilities? Right. Well, and another thing, the county that we're in, St. Clair County, initially didn't have a community cat ordinance. And technically, according to the law, TNR was not legal. So I think a lot of people did it kind of on the sly and didn't really publicize it. So they do now have a community cat ordinance in place and people are working kind of feverishly to organize and kind of set up a more formal program for the entire county. So I think that's going to be helpful because a lot of these people that were kind of hiding in the shadows doing this will come forward now and it'll be a little bit easier probably to organize. One of the biggest challenges that I have come across in talking with other groups is how to fund your TNR program. So you have a partnership with Carol House Quick Fix Pet Clinic, which is great. I think it's developing collaborative partnerships is fantastic. And I'd love to hear more on that. But first, I'd love to know how you fund the spay-neuter surgeries for the community cats. So the spay-neuter surgeries for community cats are $20 a piece. And right now we work strictly off donations and the occasional small grant that we get for this. We have had a couple of community members that have paid us to do to fix their cats, but otherwise we strictly rely on donations and like I said small grants when we get them. Carol House Pet Clinic in October, last October, they had a special where every Friday they were doing community cats for $10. So we really capitalized on that and I tried to to fill all my traps every Friday to bring in. And then last April, they actually did community cats for free for the entire month. So I saved a couple colonies up just for April. So I try to kind of capitalize on those specials that come up every once in a while, which is very helpful. But for now, it's basically donations. Kitten season is upon us, and do we have a webinar for you? Listen and chat with Hannah Shaw, the kitten lady, on Saturday, June 17th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and learn everything you need to know about saving kittens' lives. She'll be talking all about kittens and bottle babies, too. This webinar will cover the ins and outs of kittens, including an overview of issues impacting cats and kittens, how to set up your home, manage your time, and make fostering fun, how to properly feed, clean, and provide basic medical care to a kitten, how to get involved in your local community. To sign up, go to www.communitycatspodcast.com and click on the link on the homepage to sign up. We'll see you then. The Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show, but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. How 
do you work your collaborative efforts with them as well as with the pet food pantry? You just sort of communicate via email amongst each other and try and you know share resources and what you have going on? Or is there anything special? Do you have a specific organized collaborative effort? I wouldn't say it's organized. I would say it's mostly just relationships I've built up with them. In terms of the Carroll House Clinic, one of my friends, Andrea, who she actually, in 2011, we were the two that started doing outreach for a rescue organization. She now works at Carroll House Quick Fix Pet Clinic as their community outreach coordinator. So I work closely with her and some of the other people that work there, basically on an email basis to schedule appointments and coordinate that. I'm very lucky in that since I'm there so often, they work with me (laughs) with appointments because as you know, with cats, you plan to trap eight and you might get five or you might get 12. So they're pretty good with being a little flexible on those appointments. And then the Bi-State Pet Food Pantry, we, we work very close with because one of their requirements for giving food out is that people have all of their pets spayed and neutered. So we refer to the pantry once we know a family has all their pets fixed, as well as they will refer people to us who come to their pantry for food if their pets are not fixed from our, you know, from our area. So we kind of go back and forth and work very closely with them. And they actually started a distribution in our service area once a month because transportation is one of the biggest barriers for spay neuter for for families. And so not having to drive across the river to St. Louis to get pet food, even when it's free, sometimes even just the transportation over there is difficult. So they've actually started distributing in our area. So we, some of our volunteers actually help them on distribution day to kind of coordinate everything. So on an annual basis, how many community cats do you think that you're trapping? I would say probably about a hundred. I think one year it was a little bit more. It just varies, again, depending on how much money we have to trap. Like I said, if I can capitalize on those specials when they have them for free or even reduced further than the $20, but I would say about 100 And how do you measure your success? Is, there, is your shelter seeing a reduction in the number of requests from, for intakes from your target area? Well, we don't usually intake cats. Our rescue that the community outreach is a small part of, focuses on dogs. So in terms of cat rescue, we network with a lot of other rescues that take cats in order to get them off the street. I would say we haven't really measured in terms of intake, although now that there is a countywide community cat ordinance and a no-kill resolution, I think we will see the numbers at animal control drop over time, and they will obviously be measuring that. And I just see it in community satisfaction. One of the things we really have to work on is building trust in the community, doing what we say we're going to do, helping with what we say we can help with. Many people still, when I come to pick up their animal, whether it's their indoor dog, outdoor dog, or their community feral cats, some of the people still aren't quite sure I'm going to bring them back. And so building up that trust and when I bring their cats back and they're healthy and everything works out fine, then they tell their neighbors, they tell their friends, we get more referrals. And I think, you know, as we build up that trust over time, it's going to also lead to people fixing their dogs or vice versa. We fix their dogs and then they allow us you know, to fix their their outdoor cats as well. So in addition to the TNR program and the vaccination clinics, are there any other components that you would say are an important part of a community outreach program? 
Well, we help people to keep their pets in their homes safely, you know, trying to reduce strays, trying to reduce owner surrenders and such. And part of that too is going out and making sure pets have adequate shelters. So for outdoor dogs, dog houses, straw in order to keep warm if it's winter. But that also goes for community cats. We will hand out cat shelters and, you know, make sure people have those resources as well as appropriate tie-outs hooking them up with the Bi-State Pet Food Pantry. One of the things I forgot to mention, the St. Louis Feral Cat Outreach also has a community cat food program that I've gotten a couple people hooked up with. Bi-State generally doesn't give out food for feral cat colonies. So St. Louis Feral Cat Outreach can help people if they need that. So really any kind of services that people need. We do microchip owned pets as well. And that is helpful especially when strays end up at animal control. If they have a microchip, they're going to get back to their owner. So really kind of just encompassing all of those services to keep pets in their homes and not being intaked at shelters and not being picked up as strays. What do you see life being like for community cats over the next five or 10 years in East St. Louis? Well, I'm really hoping that they're seen as more of just part of the community versus a nuisance. I would say about half of the community cat caretakers that I work with really, really love their cats. And they're a little nervous about me taking them because, again, they're worried I won't bring them back or that they're going to be in trouble for feeding these cats in the neighborhood. Because, like I said, before the community cat ordinance, it was technically illegal. So a lot of people kind of kept their colonies hidden under the table. And then the other half of the people who call want me to come get the cats. Well, we don't really want these cats here. And just the education and telling them that, well, I can't really come get your cats. That's not what we do, but here's what I can do. And a lot of people don't even know that's an option. And so I think we're going to see less people calling us to say, come get the cats. And it's going to be more of, can you come fix these cats so we don't get more? And I'm hoping to kind of see that mindset change over time. And hopefully they'll call earlier rather than later when it's, you know, one or two cats rather than 10 or 20. Right. And, and you know, and everybody's so well-intentioned and they just have no idea how quickly, if you feed them, they will come. And that's true. So, you know, they just have no idea how it snowballs until it snowballs. And if they have that information ahead of time, like you said, obviously someone will call when there's one or two versus 20. I'd like to quickly mention the Pets for Life, which we've mentioned several times on the show. It actually hasn't come up in the last several episodes, but you had spoken in our pre-show chat about the Pets for Life model and that you haven't been part of the program but your organization has utilized tips from that. Right, right. We have several good connections. Andrea, who I mentioned, who's the community outreach coordinator at Carroll House Quick Fix Clinic, has worked with several Pets for Life groups. And then Jason Shipkowski, I used to work with him in another rescue, and he actually works for the Pets for Life program now. And he has given us lots of good advice and help. And I wouldn't say we exactly use their model, but we sort of use their model, kind of tailored for our staff. We're all volunteer. And so it's hard to kind of use every aspect of that when you're working with volunteers. 
when you have paid staff 40 hours a week, you can carry out a lot more, obviously. So, but we use some of their model and that would be a dream of mine to have staff and actually be able to carry out that program in our target area. And maybe someday we'll be able to do that. But it's a really, really great program. It focuses on helping people as well as helping animals, knowing that if, if you can help the people to help their animals, it's just, it's going to work out so much better. You have a much better relationship with the community and it's not so much we're coming to your neighborhood and we're taking your pets. So Deanna, if folks are interested in finding out more about Gateway Pets, how would they do that? Uh, you can go to our website, gatewaypets.com and look up the community programs. We have information on our community outreach, spay neuter programs, as well as our TNR program. You can donate money on our website and you can call if you know of any community cats or any own pets or situations in our area and we can respond. That's great. And I would assume folks can get in touch with you through that website also? Absolutely. There's an email and a phone number. And then um, you can also find us on Facebook under Gateway Pet Guardians. And you can see posts every day of the work we're doing in the community. Great. Deanna, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I'm just, I'm really glad you were able to have me on the program. I love to talk about what I do. So I'm glad it's going to reach a lot more people. That's great. And I think it's fascinating how you've been able to overcome the obstacles of being in a resource desert. I think that as our community cat programs continue to grow and expand, I think we're going to actually be able to look at a like a map of the United States and then mark out where our resource deserts are and maybe be very strategic about initiating our new programs in those areas to be able to have full coverage for spay-neuter resources for community cats, as well as additional resources for the community cats all across the country. Right, right. And, and, you know, and I love the whole wording of community cats. I've really tried to use that more in the last few years because everyone talks about feral cats. And, you know, really a community cat is any cat that lives outside that perhaps even multiple people, entire neighborhoods take care of. And it's not so much these, you know, wild scary looking feral cats. It's just any cat in the neighborhood. And I think that's just a kind of a kinder approach to it all. Four paws on the asphalt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not spayed or neutered. That's how I define uh-huh. it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's, that's great. Well, Deanna, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on the show. And I hope we'll have you on in the future, maybe to update us on how the work has been going down the road. That sounds great. Thank you very much. If you like the Community Cats podcast and would like to help promote Community Cats in your state, then we need you. We're looking for a couple of people from each state to be Community Cats ambassadors. What do you get by being an ambassador? You'll be mailed a promo kit of items to use to help promote the show at any event that you attend in your state. If you don't attend many events, hey, that's okay too. Do you have a network of people that love community cats? You can help with emailing groups in your state to let them know about the CCP and offer them the benefit of community cat swag. The more we can spread the word about the show, the more we can do to help cats across the country. Please email Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com if you'd like to represent your state. Thank you. Yeah.